please take your Bibles and turn them to Exodus chapter 15 today. The text is printed for you in the bulletin on pages 8 and 9, and you're welcome to follow along there as well. But if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to use them, opening them to Exodus chapter 15. Today we're going to be studying this passage, and as we do so, we're studying a worship song. If you remember last week in chapter 14, we had this great moment of crossing the Red Sea in one of the the most well-known miracles of, of the Old Testament, where God parts the sea and makes a way on dry land for his people to walk through his people who have been terrified by the Egyptians, again, who are coming after them to to take them back, to defeat them. God has made a way for them through the sea, and when they get to the far shore of the sea, they look back and the waters close together and drown Pharaoh and his army with all their chariots, their chosen officers who uh, were leading the most technologically advanced army in the ancient world. And we get now to chapter 15, and we have this picture of all the Israelites still on the seashore with this great salvation that has just gone down right in front of them. And they're looking back, and and we have this image that that they're processing everything that has just happened, of everything that the Lord has done for them. And it says they sing this song to the Lord. So they've just experienced this great salvation. The Lord has delivered them from a great evil. And the Egyptians. And now they sing to the Lord this song. And so what we're doing today in looking at these first 21 verses is to study the words of a song, to see how they worshipped, to see what they looked at, what they were seeing, and what response it drew out of them in return. So let's read it, first of all, Exodus 15. And let me ask you, if you're able, would you join me in standing for the reading of God's holy word today? Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 1 through verse 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will defy the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, 
Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom, dismayed, trembling, seizes the leaders of Moab, and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh, with his chariots and his horsemen, went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's pray again. Father, this is your word given by the inspiration of your spirit as a gift to us, to your people, to make us wise unto salvation, to lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, we pray that by the power of your spirit you will implant in our hearts a hunger for your word. And then by the power of your spirit you will satisfy that hunger today by leading us through your word here in Exodus 15, by opening the eyes of our hearts to see it, by pressing it on us, Lord, when, when we need to be taught, when we need to be uh, reprimanded, corrected, reproved, when we need to be trained in the way of righteousness. Lord, would you use your word to accomplish your purpose in our lives, your purpose for your church, your purpose for the glorifying of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we're preaching today on a song. It's a song that the people of God sang at a very particular time in their life together as the people of God. And I think that part of the point of a, a sermon, if we're preaching on a song, part of it has to be not just hoping to explain it well, hoping that we're going to understand it, that we're going to follow the flow of thought. But more than that, I think the main point has to be that we will join in the singing of this song. That this passage is, is more than sort of an archaic text that, that shows us what they did back then, but this is an invitation to all of us to sing along with them, to join in the song of the people of God praising God for his majesty, for his uniqueness. Not literally, of course, we're not going to sing this song actually to music, but we miss the point of a passage like this if we don't join in with them. If we don't find our hearts united with theirs in a song of adoration, in a song of worship to the Lord, who is our strength and our song and who becomes our salvation. After all, we read this and we have to say, these are our people. This is the people of God. These are some of our forebearers in the faith. These are those who received the promises, who God called out from the world to follow him. These are people who believed and were counted as righteous in God's sight because of their faith. There are people, and now we are going to join our hearts with theirs in praising the Lord. Because what we see in this passage, j just this connection from chapter 14, this great salvation of the Lord at the sea, to chapter 15, where there's hardly any introduction, the people of Israel, together with Moses, sing this song to the Lord. 
You know what that tells us? It tells us, first of all, that worship is the proper response to God's great acts of salvation. Worship is the proper response of faith to the mighty acts of God and salvation. We've actually seen that several times already in Exodus. We saw it in chapter 4. After Moses has spoken with the Lord and been called by God to deliver the people, and he gathers all the elders together, and, and Moses and Aaron together relate to the people what God has called them to do, and they show the people the signs that God has given them to do before Pharaoh. And it says the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. Just the foretelling of God's mighty acts of salvation. The people worshipped. Chapter 12, it, it tells us the instructions for keeping the Passover the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And even as Moses tells the people the Lord's instructions for how they are to observe the feast, before the Passover has actually even happened, he's just told them, this is the feast that we are going to keep to the Lord. It says the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. Every time they're told of the salvation of God, they worship. And now here, chapter 15, it, it, after it's all gone down in chapter 14 and God has saved them, all the people gather together at the sea and they sing a song of worship and praise to the Lord. Because I believe for the believing heart, this is just what comes naturally. When you see the mighty acts of God in salvation, when the eyes of your heart are directed to look on Christ, to, to consider who he is, how he loves, what he does for his people, the believing heart it, it, it can't help but to respond in praise and worship, in adoration. I mean, I, I don't think there had to be somebody who stood up on the seashore this day and, and addressed all of Israel and said, you know, guys, what would be an interesting thing for us to do at this point would be to sing a song to the Lord. I imagine that all the people could not help but say, let's worship the God of our salvation together. What else can the believing heart do having witnessed such great acts of salvation. And that's what, that's what it is to be a believer. When you see the Lord go to work, when you see the power of his right arm, and behind that you see the mercy and the grace and the love in his heart for his people, people who do not deserve his love and his mercy and his grace, that has power to draw out our hearts in worship. And I hope that even as we study the song today, that it has that same effect on our hearts of drawing our hearts out to the Lord. Saying, if this is what God has done for his people, if this is how, how he has loved us, if when we were yet his enemies, he sent Christ to die for us, how can we not simply worship, bow our hearts before the Lord in songs of praise? I think this, this passage reminds us that it's never enough for us in studying the Bible and studying a chapter of Scripture, it's never enough for us simply to understand a passage. It's not enough for us simply to be able to make sense of it, to kind of get the flow of thought, to understand any of the doctrine and the categories. The proper response can be nothing less than, than ending in worship, leading our hearts before his throne and, and leaving us there to sing his praises. In fact, I, I once heard John Piper explain um, he had originally started out as a, a college professor, and then he felt called to go into the ministry and to become a pastor. And he explained that transition, saying that he had been teaching in the classroom, going through some of the great truths of the book of Romans. And, and, it, and the Lord kept pressing on his heart that 
he had to do more than to simply explain. He had to exalt the truths that he was teaching. It it just wasn't enough to sort of dissect the book and to break it down and to understand the doctrine. He said he felt he could do nothing less than, than to proclaim and to exalt the truths that he was teaching. And he said he wanted to get out of, minis- out of teaching and into ministry. Now, you can do that in teaching. I'm not saying that, that it has to be one or the other. But the story itself is enough to show us it, it's not enough simply to understand, sort of academically, sort of in our minds. We must love these passages. The believing heart delights in the Lord. And that's why we see the people getting to the other side of the sea, breaking into song, singing his praises. And they just go through what has just happened. We hear it in this, this song, in the poetry, in the flow of it. They're just rehearsing exactly what happened. They're there. They know what happened. They don't, they don't need to be teaching and instructing one another. But their heart is just delighting in it and, and going, going over it over and over again to say, can you believe how the Lord has acted on our behalf? Isn't it wonderful? They're worshiping here, and so I want us to join with them. I also want to invite you to see this song as as being a source of joy, of hope, of confidence and faith for us. See how the song ends in there in verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. You know who will not reign forever and ever? Anybody else. Anybody else, we are called by this song to put our hope in the Lord. Because who is like the Lord? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. This is a song that calls us to renew our hope in God and in God alone. To cast our eyes on Christ. To look to our Savior and to find joy and confidence in him because it's the chiefs of Edom and Philistia and Moab and Canaan who are dismayed by God, but he is our God. We find joy, we find confidence and faith in this. Now, I want us to notice something else in this passage before we really get into it. Uh, There's a lot, you might have noticed, there's been a lot of talk lately about protesting And I've heard some discussions about Christians participating in protests and whether that's right or not, and I'm not going to make any comment on that. This is not that kind of comment. All I want to say is that I like to think that for believers in Christ, it is our own kind of protest every Sunday to come and to gather with the Lord's people, to sing God's praises, to say, He is Lord, and he reigns forever and ever. Who is like him among the gods? And we cast our hope on him, and we find our joy only in him. And we pledge our allegiance only to him. We say he is the true ruler of all people on earth, the true king of kings. So that every time we find ourselves discouraged, dismayed by what goes on in this world, And as believers, we will often find that to be the case because this world is not our home. When we find ourselves dismayed and discouraged by what's going on, one of the best things we can do, and I'm not saying it's the only right action, but one of the greatest things to do is to gather with God's people and to say if the world out there does not value racial equality the way they ought to do, and we are upset about that, we find our identity as the people of God from every tribe and nation and tongue and language. 
because God is perfect in all that he does. And if we find ourselves discouraged by the leaders of this world, and, and we ought to, one of the greatest things we can do is to come to the house of the Lord and say, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Majestic in holiness, in perfection, in faithfulness. And to sing his praises and have that be our own form of protest against all the unrighteousness in the world, against all the brokenness, all the sin. And we come and we sing his praises. We don't just talk, we sing his praises and, and we pray for his kingdom to come for his will to be done. And we long for that great day when God will deliver us once and for all from evil, when he will establish his kingdom and we will celebrate that God has done so, the victory of Christ. And one of the things that is amazing about this text, as we continue to long and to pray for that great day when God is going to deliver us from evil once and for all, it's very interesting if, if we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 15, all the way from Exodus 15 to Revelation 15, Revelation 15 is, is giving us a picture of that great day when God delivers the world from evil and he delivers his people from evil and he has judged all unrighteousness by his holiness. And what Revelation does in Revelation 15 is when that happens, it actually pictures it Started starting in 15.2 as the people of God standing on the seashore and they're looking back over the sea where God has just judged evil once and for all and it says they sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb and that is their final act of worship and praise in this part of Revelation singing to the Lord who has delivered them not merely from Pharaoh and from his armies but now from, from the devil and all his works what we have in Revelation 15, it's like Exodus 15 magnified a million times over, where it's not just the Israelites, it's all the people of God praising the Lord. And it says they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, right? Because it's not just Moses anymore now. It's, it's what Christ has done, but it's in the same vein as what uh, the song of Moses. And it says, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So even the, even the Bible, it looks back at this song in Exodus 15, and it says, when we read that, let's not just see it as some old song in the Old Testament that they sang long ago. The Bible looks back and it says, that's a preview of what is yet to come. God was just, just showing his people just a taste of what he was one day going to do on a universal scale. That he would deliver them from evil. That he would judge the unrighteous. That he would save his people and exalt his holy name through that judgment. And that is what we have to look forward to. So let me invite you now as we sing this song as we study it, to, to join your hearts with it, to sing this song, to make words like this your own words, because one day they will be our words. <clears throat> so let's look at the song then together before we get too carried away with other things. I want to just break it down into three verses. Verses one through three are, or, yeah, one through three is the adoration. Verses four through 12 is the exaltation. And verses 13 through 18 is the expectation. First, 
the adoration. The adoration. One of God's purposes in chapter 14, we said, his purpose was that he would get glory over Pharaoh. And he did. He did. He won the battle, but it's not just an objective glory where we see God winning over the Egyptians, but there is this sort of subjective part that's even more important, that God gets the glory in the hearts of his people. He gets the glory in the hearts of his people now as they look on his salvation and worship. And they sing. And they say these words. They say, verse 2, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Say, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. Let me ask you this question today. Whose song are you singing today? Whose song are you singing today? In other words, what is the theme that has dominated your heart? Right here, the people, they look to the Lord and say, the Lord is my song because their hearts are filled with the praise of the Lord. They're they're literally overcome, I would believe, with what God has just done for them, how he has displayed the strength of his arm in their own salvation, that they can look on their enemies being defeated and they say, the Lord has loved us and saved us and set us free. And he is their song. What about us? Whose song are we singing? The world around us would invite us to sing all sorts of songs. Most of them are songs of dissatisfaction, discontentment, selfishness, worldly desires. Those are the songs the world knows. Those are the themes the world knows, and it, it invites us to come and to join them in singing those things, into pursuing those same goals. They're songs of seeking your own kingdom. Those are songs that, that ultimately, we sing those songs long enough, they begin to harden your heart. They begin to harden your heart towards the Lord, but, but for those who have known the salvation of the Lord, he teaches his people here a new song. A new song to teach them to sing, The Lord God the Almighty reigns. Because he and he alone has come to save us from, from evil, to become our salvation. And I know in, in talking like this, I'm speaking pretty metaphorical about the song that our heart is singing, but, but there's really a very practical application, is there not? It's very hard for us to be constantly filling our minds with the things of this world and expect that our hearts will still be able to sincerely and joyfully and thankfully sing the Lord's song. That's very hard. And I know the temptations are very strong, perhaps in L.A., stronger than than most places where we are so closely surrounded on every side with the things of this world, with, with the priorities of this world, the entertainment values of this world, the way they tell us we ought to be spending our time But I find in my life, and and I'm certain you find in your life as well, that that the more time we spend in that and and surround ourselves with that, our heart cannot also sing the Lord's song at the same time. This passage is in one sense a plea for us to spend more time with the Lord, to to surround ourselves with songs of his salvation, to cast the eyes of our hearts very intentionally over and over to the Lord Say, let us not allow the great acts of God's salvation to be forgotten among us. Because those are the things that that raise our thoughts of God, that give us new worship of God, that give us new joy in God. If we spend no time contemplating and looking 
at the great acts of his salvation, how then will we sing with God's people the songs of salvation? This is an invitation to us then. It's an invitation to come to see what the Lord has done. In fact, our call to worship, did you hear the words contemplating it? And the words say, come and see what the Lord has done. His awesome deeds towards the children of man. That's what this is. It's an invitation to us. Would you come? Would you see what the Lord has done? His awesome deeds towards the children of man. And what he has done is such a great salvation. Such a great salvation that they look at here and that is only a preview of what God is doing for us and has done for us in Christ. Would you come and see what the Lord has done for you in Christ? For us of all people. Sinners though we are, that that we don't deserve this and yet the Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because the Lord as he says in verse 3, is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And that, again, is good news. That is good news. Do you remember our theme from a couple weeks ago? The wrath of God is the hope of his children and the despair of his enemies. And so when they sing that the Lord is a man of war, they are singing that with huge smiles on their face. Say, this is our great hope, that the Lord will not be defeated by anyone. His plans and his plans alone will stand for his people. And so it invites us. It invites us to come and to sing this song, to to unite our hearts with them. But then there's the exaltation in verse 4 through verse 12. And these verses are the heart of the song. And most of these verses, you know, we read these. They're very poetic. They're not giving us new information about what happened. You know what these verses are doing? We, We hear... They're just rehearsing what has just gone down as a way of worshiping the Lord. They're simply rehearsing it over and over, finding new ways to say it. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. You and I, we do this all the time, don't we? We do. We do. We might not think about it this way, but this is what we love to do, to rehearse things that mean the most to us. To rehearse the things that we love and to share them with one another just by talking about them, right? Maybe you've been to just an amazing baseball game. Maybe you saw it on TV, right? And, and your favorite team was down six to three in the, in the set bottom of the eighth inning. And, and you were despairing, but then, wait, th- there's this great comeback and it goes to extra innings and, and the good guys win after all. It's an amazing game. You don't just leave and not talk about it. No, you you get together with your friends and you talk about it and you rehearse it and you go through it detail detail by detail. I mean, you, you all know what happened. You saw the game, but this is actually, it's like an act of worship. To enjoy it together, to delight in it, to rehearse all your favorite parts and say, wasn't this amazing? Wasn't it wonderful? Or maybe you do it with movies. Instead, you've just watched a movie and it was great and on the way home in the car, you're, you're breaking down all the performances and, and praising them and going through them again detail by detail. You do it when you've been to the Grand Canyon. You don't just leave and, and ride quietly on the way home. You're talking. Wasn't that amazing? Weren't the colors unlike anything you've seen before? Wasn't it majestic? Didn't it give you this sense of, of being in the, the presence of something transcendent? 
We don't always think in these terms, but, but when we do that with all of those things, that is in its own way sort of an act of, of worship towards those things because our hearts are, are delighting in them. And that's not wrong so long as those aren't ultimate acts of worship, but, but those are enjoying some of the good gifts that God has given to his people and our heart delights to review them, delights simply to take pleasure in them, to say, aren't they wonderful? The works that God has done for his people. That's what worship is is. Worship is simply calling to mind the great acts of our God and delighting in them, finding joy in them, finding a deep sense of satisfaction in them. That's why we talk about the same things week after week, and and we don't ever move away from the story of Christ at the cross, how he has come to save people like us, because that's the most wonderful thing in the world, and our hearts delight in that, to review it and to, to come at it from every possible angle, to explain it and to break it down and simply to find joy in that, because that is what worship is. And we get to the end of it all, and, and maybe we just run out of words and we say, isn't God glorious? Isn't he amazing? That's where we get to in verse 11 after all these verses of just just coming at it from different angles. What has God just done here? What did we just witness? What was this salvation? Finally, we get to verse 11, and there's just this exclamation. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? This is the heart of worship, and that's what this song is doing. It's worship because it leads them to think great thoughts, about God. Israel is just beginning here in this chapter to learn the lessons that God has for them, that he's not just freeing a people, that he's forming a people, that he's drawing them to himself. Isn't this the first great step in forming them? That now they're free, now let them look on his great acts of salvation and think and worship and praise and go over it over and over and over. Isn't this what God is doing with us as well? God has saved us. He's set us free. He's set us free. The Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We are free. And now what he teaches us to do is to stand on the shore, to look back on God's great acts of salvation, and to think over and over, to to spend time with them, to abide in these things, and, and to come to the appropriate conclusion, who is like you among the gods? to bring our hearts to this place of praise that we, together with all the people of God, might learn to sing the Lord's song. This is what they're doing, is singing the Lord's song, because how can the believing heart do anything else in light of what they have just seen? Now, verses 13 through 18 gives us the, the expectation. We've had the, the invitation, the exaltation, and now the expectation And do you see what's so interesting about this final section of the song, starting in verse 13, where he says, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Has he? Has he done that? Is that why they're singing this? Because God has already led them all the way to his holy abode. Holy abode here is most likely speaking in some way, of of Jerusalem, of the temple of God, 
where God causes his presence to dwell and where he would plant his people. In fact, we know that they go on and he says, pains have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Have they? What Israel is doing here is, is now they're not merely singing about God's salvation that they've just witnessed. They are now singing by faith about what the Lord is going to do for them yet. They're singing about things that haven't happened yet as though they have. Because when you worship, you sing by faith in the Lord who saves his people. Starting in verse 14, they're actually singing in the, the future tense. Right When he says, uh, Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. There still is a stone till your people pass by. You, verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Now they're being called to sing by faith. Isn't that what we do as believers? We sing by faith. There is no other way to sing the Lord's song except to say it's not only what God has done, it's also what God is doing and it's what God is going to do. That he is a good and faithful God who leads his people. This song walks us right through it. They're going to have to pass Philistia. They're going to have to pass Edom, Moab, and Canaan to get in and settle the land that the Lord is giving them. And the Lord is going to be with them every step of the way until they're right there where the Lord plants his people in Jerusalem and in the promised land. They are worshiping God for what he is going to do. And we remember just a chapter ago in chapter 14, this was a people who was lost all faith They'd lost all hope. They seemed to be completely despairing and trembling. Remember, it was not an impressive scene. All the people griping and complaining to Moses. But look at them now. Look at them now on this side of God's salvation, reflecting on what the Lord has done for them. And, and just in the act of doing that, right, in the act of casting their, their eyes back onto God's salvation and singing through it and rehearsing it, and praising the Lord for everything that he has done. Do you see what it does for them? That very act is strengthening their hearts. That very act of praising the Lord for his salvation is, is buttressing up their hearts so it doesn't fall over. It, it's strengthening and encouraging them. I mean, we know the people aren't perfect. In chapter 16, they're going to surprise us again with their, with their whining, but... But at this moment, their faith is being stirred by intentionally casting their gaze on the work of God for them. By intentionally casting their gaze by faith on the work that God has done for them. And that is why it's so important for us to gather week in and week out and to sing the Lord's song together. It's not just that he deserves it, he does. It's also a blessing for us. Doing that strengthens our faith. Doing that... And as I read this, I see the moment that changes everything for the people of Israel. It's probably verse 11. Right? Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? I think that is the moment for Israel of recognizing who the Lord is. How he loves his people. How he's utterly holy and majestic and, and, and transcendent and yet with them. And therefore, if that is true for them, if that's true, if that's the lesson that they have learned from this, how can they then fear the path that God has called them yet to walk? They're not even close to the promised land here. There are still years and years of wandering through the wilderness. But at this moment, their hearts are strong in faith. 
They're settled in their determination. They're resting in the Lord. How have they gotten to that point? I believe it's by looking on his salvation, singing his praises, and coming to this conclusion about the character of God. The character of their God who will not let them go. When you encounter the character of God in your worship, that's what has the power to change us. That's what has the power to build us up and to give us confidence so that we too sing of the future. And do we not always sing of the future in so many of our songs? If you've you've noticed, so many of our, our songs that we use in worship, they're not just singing about what God has done for us in Christ, but they also look to what God is yet to do. Right? One of my favorites, How Great Thou Art, the final verse, When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation to bring me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. We're looking to what God is yet to do for his people in Christ. We're looking to that great day when it's not just the Israelites on the shore of the Red Sea, but it's all of God's people standing by the sea, singing together the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Praising our God for great and awesome is the Lord. And he will have fulfilled on that day every single one of his promises, all of which are yes and amen for us in Christ. He will not have left us in the middle of the wilderness. Though we complain, though we gripe, just like the Israelites, he is a God who is faithful and who brings us all the way home, all the way to the land where he has promised he is going to plant his people around his holy mountain, around his temple, in the new heavens and the new earth where his throne will be. And we will be with him. We will be with him and and we'll sing the song. Maybe we'll even sing verse 18. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The Lord will reign forever and ever and ever. The Lord who saves his people. The Lord who then guides his people through the wilderness. Through the wilderness where the people are fearful but, but trusting looking on him by faith, because that's our faith. That's our faith. It's not just looking backwards and saying, I believe what has happened. It's looking forward in faith and saying, this is what is going to happen. This is what God is going to do for us. And that's our hope. That's our hope that is secure. And that's why this is a passage that invites us not just to, to read and to know and to understand this song, but to join, to sing it, Join them in singing the Lord's song by faith and praising him. Who is like you, O Lord? Let's pray together. Father, who is like you, O Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Father, we ask that that you, by the power of your spirit, will take a text from your word and press it on our hearts. Teach us, Lord, move us to worship. Guide us in the way everlasting. Point our hearts towards Christ and may we find in him great hope, great confidence, great joy to sing by faith the song of the Lord. And would you be faithful to your word to keep your people safe, to continue in us the work that you have began until you bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.